Let's go to Space Blue Sky Learning, Episode 32, Curriculum, Cognition, and Kids, Literacy, and STEM. Today, Kevin and I meet with Dr. Liz Knowles, who began her career as an elementary school teacher in Connecticut, although spent most of her career, in fact, 29 years, at the Pinecrest School in South Florida. She earned a master's in reading and a doctorate in curriculum development and systematic change, both from Nova Southeastern University. Early in her career, Dr. Knowles was director of professional development and curriculum, where she assisted more than 300 faculty members with curriculum mapping, launched a teaching certification program, offered in-service classes, and oversaw several school accreditation processes. Beginning in 1997, Dr. Knowles completed the first of her 14 books, The Reading Connection, Bringing Parents, Teachers, and Librarians Together. This text, like her subsequent publications, serves parents, librarians, and educational professionals by offering tips and titles aimed at promoting children's literacy. After leaving Pinecrest, Dr. Knowles served as Director of Content K-12 for Kaplan Virtual Education and then as Head of Studies, Director of Professional Development and Diploma Program Coordinator at Boca Prep International School, which is an IB school in Boca Raton, Florida. She also spent several years writing curriculum and applications for charter schools in Palm Beach County. Today, through her LLC called Cognitive Advantage, Dr. Knowles teaches classes, small groups, and offers private lessons. As always, stay tuned after today's podcast for our takeaways. Welcome and thank you so much for spending some time this weekend with us. I would like to start off today's uh, podcast with you sharing a little bit about your background. Tell everybody who you are and what it is that you do. Okay, well, I have a wide variety of things that I have done in my past. Uh, I've been a teacher of students. I've been a teacher of teachers. Uh, I've also been a very active writer. Um, in both writing curriculum for schools and also in writing books. I'm working on number 14 at the moment. So all, all of them were published either by a major publisher or the last three uh, were self-published. So, um, and basically I just uh, do, I like to research what's currently going on in the community of educators regarding learning and how um, you can be most efficient a most efficient learner. And that for me is developing cognitive skills. And so I work uh, right now and have for the past 11 years, basically in the area of developing cognitive skills such as memory, processing speed, focus and attention, logic and reasoning, those four areas and really working to exercise those areas because they're not focused on at all in school yet they are heavily depended upon for results in learning. So there's a disconnect there. And I try to uh, bring that to the attention of students and teachers and parents. Got it. So I, we were fortunate to meet you at a school that we were at formerly. And I remember sitting in on some of uh, those, those classes that you're doing for teachers, especially with regards to, you know, brain and memorization. Can you share with us a little bit about maybe how things have changed over the time since you began and, and where we're at now with the idea of the importance of uh, those kinds of cognitive skills like that? Right. We used to years ago, we used to rely heavily on memorization. Like I remember when I went to school, um, we always memorized poetry. 
and you always had a poem to memorize and that was just key and I have a whole bank way stored away of different sort of famous poems that I can bring up at any time we don't do that much anymore and we also um, used to be very keen on memori memorizing like the multiplication tables and math facts and then with standards we got more into conceptual um, understanding of math. So it was more important that you knew what eight times seven really entailed and what how it looked rather than the answer. And so to me, that's really on um, scary ground because any kind of uh, a larger math problem that you have to do, if one of the first steps is a multiplication fact and you get it wrong, then the entire thing is for naught. So, um, I believe that it's very, very important to have a whole bank of um, things that you can draw on because you can't always carry Google with you. You have, to, uh, you have to have some things that you know and that you can call up when you need them. And the, everything that you learn is basically connected to something that's already in your head. And good teachers know that, that they have to um, kind of get that all going before they can add on and expect you to understand what they're currently trying to get you to do. So uh, memory is really, really important. And you find people that say, you know, I'm losing my memory. I can't remember anything. And there's really, that's not an issue. The issue is focus. You don't focus on what you're trying to remember. So you just do things so automatically that you have no recollection of them. So then you think you've forgotten, but that's not the case. And it's easily, it's easily rec uh, changed by just some focus on uh, the steps that got you to that particular point. So memory is, there's a, um, a man by the name of, last name Clem, K-L-E-M-M. -M, and he writes on memorization all the time. And I have referred to him a lot in my presentations and in my books because I strongly agree that memory, we are not focusing on memory like we should. We are not building that skill. And yet we expect kids to remember stuff all the time, all the time. We right. expect them to be able to recall what they've heard in class, what they read, what they found out, what they saw. All of it is supposed to be remembered, but we don't really teach them how to develop that skill. Um for those that, of us that may not be as familiar as you are, could you please describe to me what really is, say, a student's short-term memory versus something more long-term in the context of how do we apply knowledge, right, uh, the application of knowledge to solving a new problem? Could you maybe speak to that a little? Right. So short-term memory or working memory is unfortunately extremely short. Um, it's only like, I think measured by seconds or by um, word bites, sound bites, whatever. It's relatively, um, it's not really um, something that we can rely on for a lot of learning on the first go round. We have to do a lot of repetition and a lot of connecting in order to make whatever we're trying to get kids to understand or to apply to um, their long-term memory. Think of it like a file drawer and you have to be able to put it somewhere and then be able to get to it. And that is, uh, that's, there's a big difference between working memory and long-term memory. And 
unfortunately, it's uh, very often the teacher's job to help kids to make that connection between what they're working on right now and what they already know in order to be able to apply what they already know to what they are working on now in order to make a, a, a really firm and knowledgeable answer. So if they're trying to solve a problem, they definitely have to hear what you're saying, hear what you've presented to them, process that, but then also dig deep into their mind in order to find a connection a connection point so that they can then apply skills that they've learned in the past to uh, to solve the problem. So it's very, um, it's hard to really understand, uh, for kids to understand that, how important it is to um, process what you're doing right now. There's that whole processing speed element where you have to, you have to be able to listen to what the teacher is saying and process it and remember it long enough to apply it to the problem the teacher wants you to solve. And very often there's just too much external noise <laughs> to, and distractions, you know, to make that possible. There's a lot of kids that simply can't do that. They can't listen to what you're saying, hear what you want them to do, then take that all and hold it, refer back to what they know, and then come up with an answer. You get, they get lost somewhere in there. So let me so ask, well, I was just going to piggyback off of that when you were talking about it's a teacher's job, right? And I know that you've worked with teachers before as well. And, and you know, I saw in your bio that you actually taught, you know, at the university with some of these teachers. So my concern is I'm seeing some of what you're seeing, right? The teachers who are now coming out of school are not necessarily using those same uh, techniques that maybe even I learned back when I was in, in school to be a teacher. Do you think it requires us to have a paradigm shift almost back to the way we were in order to bring about the, the building those memorization skills? Yes, I, I believe that we've gone far to the off the path for what we're doing because generally um, we are more um, concerned with um, regurgitating things for a, an end of the year test. That seems to be the driving force. And that's, uh, that's just not what it's all about. It really isn't. And I think, um, and I understand, I totally understand. I taught it um, on the university level graduate courses for teachers for quite some time. And I actually gave it up because teachers were so distressed over the pressure put upon them to pass the state tests and that that was the, the sole focus of their, their existence in the classroom and, and that they were just, there was no, there were no more teachable moments because you were always driven toward a certain goal and that, that always uh, resulted in test results. And so they were really distraught over that because you couldn't just, you had to have a lesson plan, it had to be okayed by the, uh, upper uh, echelon and it, it just, um, they were very distressed about that. So yes, I, I believe that the system has to change before we can actually change the way we teach. 
that that's actually why I, I was going to get my PhD to teach teachers. And I remember sitting through a class that had to do with educational policy when, you know, all these changes were taking place with regards to teacher, uh, teacher pay. And, and, and I was like, I can't do it. I cannot look an adult in the face and say, be a teacher in the state of Florida at the time. You know, um, but let's talk a little bit about some of those students. So we know that that's already lacking as far as teachers coming out of the system. And we know that they might not be getting that rote, you know, that there is not that focus anymore on, on that. Let's talk a little bit about gifted children or those who are in the varying exceptionalities. Why is it so important, especially for these children, to have uh, those skills built? Um, because I think their, their options are so much greater than the normal um, kid who's just going through class and trying to meet the, the basic goals in order to get to pass and move on to the next grade level. Gifted kids bring a whole um, different set of skills and of um, interests and history, uh, background knowledge, the whole nine yards to the, uh, to the table, to the desk, to the classroom. And so um, I find really that gifted kids or the, the kids who are really doing well in school also need help with these cognitive skills because they are still always room for improvement because of the way they have been taught. So if you, uh, one of my favorite things is uh, under the category of, uh, of logic and reasoning, this process of elimination, which is um, what needs to be done in order to be successful in multiple choice tests. And we have, you know, the state tests, many tests, graduate level tests, all of them are multiple choice. And so you have to be able to learn how to get to that one right answer by eliminating the two obvious ones that are wrong and then not having to flip a coin with the other two, but actually making it an intelligent decision. So I work a lot with doing uh, building uh, the process of elimination skills in order to help kids be more confident and more comfortable with taking a multiple choice test, which they very often have, and they are very often concerned about those, you know, right. they worry about them and they say, you know, I read the things and I know I know it, but then I get to the choices and I'm like, what? You know, so uh, that's a skill that really helps kids of all uh, backgrounds and, but it's especially good for any gifted kid who has the ability to do well on those tests, but gets bogged down by the structure. So working on that kind of uh, cognitive skill is important. And you know, uh, processing speed too. I mean, I, th I find gifted kids uh, really are uh, sometimes have difficulty with focus and attention because they're they're always thinking of other things and one thing leads to another. It's like that, uh, you know, when you start searching for something on Google and before you know it, you're, you can't even remember what you first started with because you're already somewhere totally different. Well, that's kind of the way I see that. So if you uh, look on focus and attention along with processing speed and you get them really to focus on a short amount of time and a, and a very uh, definite um, piece of thing of literature or facts that they need to learn, teach them how to do that in a time frame. It's really good. So I work a lot with a timer because mm -hmm. a timer should be a friend. It shouldn't make you nervous. It because look, look at all the sports that 
uh, they are guided by the, the timer. Um, and you always try to beat your record, your speed or whatever. And that's really uh, helpful with, with all kids to be comfortable with working under pressure in a small amount of time and really being able to focus and get the most out of the, the time that you're given. Because right. not everything is timed. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I want to go back, I think, two points. Um, you, a couple points ago, you mentioned test-taking strategies. I, I actually, I'm so much in agreement with you on that. I refer to it to the, I explain it to the kids as you've got to know the rules to the game or you can't win the game. Right. right. And I'll give you an example that I, I, I'm always amazed that kids don't think about it this way, but if you have a math problem with units, some of the answers won't even have the right units. So you can automatically discount any number that does not have the appropriate units. If they ask for force and you, they're not giving you Newtons, then eliminate it, right? And uh, I actually am amazed that, that that is not more intuitive with the kids, but I do agree that we should just teach the rules of the game, right? What are the rules of the SAT or the interview right. testing? So I, I, I'm, I, I just wanted to go back just a minute and really uh, reiterate and, and, and agree with you strongly that you cannot win in the academic world if you don't know the rules. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that I don't know very many people that realize that you can actually teach process of elimination to a point where it becomes second nature so that it's no longer sweaty palms and, you know, oh, this kind of thing. Because right. I, I have had so many students, high school students in the past that I have trained with process of elimination. Um, and they have been amazed at how their confidence has been restored and how they are not concerned. They're, they're able to apply their knowledge because they're not caught up in uh, you know, this horrible feeling of I'm down to two and I can't figure it out kind of thing. Right. But they're, they have this much more sophisticated way of looking at the choices, making right. Uh, making cor you know correct selections that way so it's right. it's amazing that that can actually there's a plenty of material out there there's a book called perplexers which is a whole uh i think it's mindware is the publication company it's a whole series of books that does process of elimination um it's wacky stuff but it's amazing how after you do that for a while it's it just clicks and you're like right. And once you start seeing that, the positives of that, you apply it elsewhere. And therefore you're able to um, really get through all of the nervousness and the wailing about, oh, I can't do this. Yes. And you can go directly to using those skills to eliminate the wrong answers. W would you agree that regardless of a child's ability, where they fall in the, the ability groups, low end, high end, the middle, that you can reduce the fear of failure, especially on things like multiple choice assessments, if they know they start out with basically zero points and there's no penalty for a wrong answer, you only get credit for right answers. I often, you know, sometimes you have that child that just says, I, I, I got to be perfect. So I can't, if I don't answer it, somehow that's more perfect. What are your experiences or thoughts in that area? Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different um, cognitive skills that are come into play with that. Once you have trained the 
process of elimination and you, you get them to understand how that works and how they can just be better and more confident at that once you've trained that skill, then you go into things like the time element of it and focusing on, okay, here you have this section of the test and you now know how to get to the right answer by your, your process of elimination skills. The next thing then is to really look closely at the time frame and not get, how many kids get really upset because the clock is ticking and they're still on trying to figure out whether it's C or D, you know, this kind of thing. So uh, there's, and then should they answer or should they skip or how are they gonna go back to the right one, you know, that they need to think more on and this sort of thing. So time is also a huge element there. And by, the, by working with them with regard to the clock and using the clock effectively, uh, the timer. I mean, I buy timers in, in bulk because I give them out everywhere. And I say, not only do you use the timer with your homework or with a section of your homework or with your studies, you use it with your chores and with anything else that you have to do to know that you need to focus on this for now, a short period of time, and then you can you know, move on um, because you have given it your 100% during that time frame. So, so I have two kind of comments on that. And then I want to just for the sake of time, kind of move it towards a little bit about how we've been working on some, some books with students recently. But in regards to the timing, you know, I always find it interesting. There are some accommodations with students now, and we have more and more accommodations every year uh, that will say can't have anything timed. And I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you know, about how how it, maybe that's a disservice. It you is. Know, maybe we should be be um, not using that as an accommodation, but rather using it to help them be more successful. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. an interesting thought. The other thing I wanted to share with you uh, is, you know, when, when I was back in the, in the public school setting and we were having to teach to a test, we also were teaching those strategies of the process of elimination, the idea that there's a, an absolutely correct answer. There's one that's correct, but not for the question. In other words, if you were just skimming, you're going to see that information in there. There's one that's a 50-50, and then there's one that you can absolutely remove. And if you can kind of look at it, that that's generally how these, these kind of tests, even for the ACT and SAT when it comes to that, and I'm thinking about long-term, not just getting through high school, but for applying for colleges, those strategies about being able to understand that it's not necessarily just about my knowledge, but it's about how I can construct questions and answers. And again, that whole timing factor, realizing that okay, everybody has a deadline for something, how we work within that. We can work towards getting there. We don't have to, you know, you should be practicing with a timer. I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely. And it should be, it should be a positive tool, not something that's going to make you crazy. You know, you're not looking at the club. Plus, you know, to go back to no time limit, that is so destructive because uh, anybody, you're talking about gifted kids too. Um, they have, their mind wanders and, mm -hmm. That is logical and purposeful and meaningful and good, but it's also a detriment to uh, if you have something in front of you that needs to be done and you don't, you're not watching the clock and the clock is um, a friend of yours, basically, you know how to say, okay, so during this, these three minutes, I'm going to really focus. Then after the three minutes, I can wander a bit. Then I have to focus again for a time frame and really, really, really work. And then after that, I can, you know, I would, that's the way I work out. It's like, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite mm -hmm. at a time. Yeah. It's the same principle. I mean, you just yeah. focus on one thing. And if you teach that skill 
separate from schoolwork just in general and then you move it to schoolwork and specifically to testing it's the same way with the process of elimination i start out with just teaching that skill mm -hmm. and then move it into how do you break it down with the multiple choice test per se like what you're saying about the four choices and how do you right, right. how, how do you do that study. but you Let's apply that that uh, cognitive skill first just to pivot now again for just the sake of time. So um, for our listeners, Dr. Knowles has been, uh, she's she's so, she's got such a wide background and she works in so many different areas. And one of which is uh, her her books, which um, she has mentioned one of them, but she has quite a lot out there. In particular, she, we met over the summer because there seems to be a lack of uh, books available in a certain area. Would you share with a little bit uh, how uh, about the work that we're doing now and how that came to be? Right, well, I'm working on a book that's, um an update of a book I wrote in 2001 about Florida and specifically for fourth grade teachers and how to find materials and books to support the Florida curriculum and social studies, which is part of the fourth grade curriculum. Um, and uh, the book that was written in 2001, that's 20 years ago, it's very outdated. And um, in trying to find literature for kids that will support the new things that are happening in Florida, um, I came across a void, a serious void in the area of the Space Coast. And now so many exciting things are happening on the Space Coast at Kennedy Space Center and Cape Canaveral uh, with NASA, with uh, SpaceX especially. And there's nothing out there really for kids about that. We, Kids in this area, the area around the Treasure Coast, the Space Coast, they know more because it's right in the news all the time. But anybody else in the rest of the USA, nobody knows. And there must be a whole bunch of kids out there who still would like to be astronauts. you know. So they need to know what currently the strides that we've made. And the thing that really made me crazy was the Falcon 9 landing back down. I mean, it, it still gives me goosebumps thinking about that. I mean, I, I'm a space shuttle person. I watched all of that and everything. But this, with that, that new um, ability and with Crew Dragon and all of that, I'm like, I've got to read about this and I have to see picture books about this and kids' books. And so, there's there aren't any. There simply are not any. So that's how... I spoke to Shauna about the possibility of kids being involved who are who have this knowledge, who have this background, who have this interest in it to be able to put together something for kids. And I have really been uh, beating the bushes to try to find people who have this background, who have access to photos and to information to put something together for kids because there just isn't anything out there. And why is that? I don't understand it. And it really bothers me. <laughs> well, it's been, it's been great. I think what, where we kind of created this, this kind of a, a alliance is then we have the kids kind of writing that. So some of our students who work with the Wolfpack have a little bit of knowledge, but what I love about it is that by having them write the book or having them illustrate the pictures, they're then not only becoming the learners, but they're the teachers as well. How does that kind of um, learning experience fit in with the idea of that cognition? Are they going to remember more because they're teaching it? Or what's your thought on how we can Absolutely. That's one of the, the main things they, um, they recommend for learning. And for memory, if you want to remember something, teach it to somebody that's, you know, share what your knowledge is and review it with somebody else. That's a huge 
uh, key to being successful at memorizing. So yes, that's important. And it's also important for them to share what they know and then to research what they don't know and to have, you know, um, people look over what they've written in order to verify that it's correct and uh, guidance for how to move through in an organized manner in sharing this. Uh, it's just, there's just so many things out there. It's almost mind boggling to try to narrow it down to what, so consequently we're looking at multiple um, resources as a result of this first effort that yeah. we're doing because it's hit upon things that again, there's nothing out there. They're, they're just, there's not, uh, when you look at, you know, you go to Barnes and Noble and you look in the children's section and you look at the picture books, their picture books aren't dead. They're not dying. They're not limited. There's still lots and lots of picture books. And I have, I'm a firm believer that picture books are to be used for middle school, high school, college. I use them with adults. I'm doing a presentation and it's all based around picture books. So uh, that's not, it's not saying that if picture books are for toddlers, no. picture books are for everybody. And this is such a great uh, way to share about what's happening currently in the space program. And we're not getting out there. And we, this is why this is so important what these students are doing. I'm really excited about that as well. I know we're, we're basically at the end of our time, but I wanted to give you a chance. Of the, the final question is always kind of like if you have some advice. So for any young teachers out there, especially in light of what, we, uh, what we've talked about with maybe the old school way or any advice for teachers coming out about how they can employ this in their classroom. But if you also want to give uh, any mention to any of the books or where they can find you or your website or where anyone can go if they want to get more information of you, feel free to use that that time as well. Okay, I, um, yes, I have the book that I wrote about uh, using picture books in middle and high school. And I also have a book on this uh, brain exercise and how to incorporate book um, games that you can buy on Amazon that could be done in family game night, but that are significantly important in building, building these skills. And they don't appear to be connected to anything in school, but yet they really, really are. And they're building these underlying skills that are um, so important. And I deal with the four basic ones that I mentioned at the beginning, but there's, and they're all intertwined because you have to have one in order to have the other. So, so that book uh, also um, within the book, I've listed all the games that I recommend for each of the skills so that it's doable. It's easy. It's easy to incorporate in the classroom in a game corner. It's easy to uh, do at home with making those selections of those games for game night or for a box of games that you have for family time or whatever. So there's lots of ways to incorporate this and it's not school based. It's not, you know, like flashcards and learning terms and vocabulary and things like that. It's actually games. But the games are working on building these, these specific skills. So I have an author's page on Amazon with all my books. I'm on LinkedIn. I, my website currently is in disrepair. I'm trying to get it back up again. So, but um, basically, um, I just, I really try hard to get teachers to understand that this is something you can do quite easily off to the side in the background as part of free time and still build these skills in order to apply to what they're trying to do in the classroom. So 
Well, I, I really want to thank you for being with us. I literally took notes because you were giving me some great tips for one of my math classes. So I've, I've literally been making some notes about some adjustments and some applications of some of these uh, important issues that you've raised with us today. Good, I'm glad to hear that. And we look forward to maybe touching base with you again when we get the, that book ready to, to head out with the, the kids stuff on space. So that would be great. Thanks once again, Dr. Knowles. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it very much. I'm really glad that we got to know Dr. Knowles at our former school and that we've been able to continue our relationship. She's such a wealth of information in a variety of areas. And I think for me, from today's podcast, I want to focus on the fact that maybe what we're doing as educators as a whole, and maybe how we're teaching educators needs to go back to the way things were. You know, there's something to be said for that old school memorization, the rote skills that we, we seem to have gotten away from. And yet that's where we're lacking. Yes, and um, what, I, what I think about, or what I <clears throat> recall, and, and I think is really good about the work that she does, is that it's not just learning a particular subject or a particular skill, she is really an expert on uh, helping students improve their logic and reasoning skills, their memory, uh, their, their processing speed. I think that's one of her strengths is helping kids uh, improve their processing speed and, and, of course, equipping teachers to better help their well, students. At, yeah, and as an English teacher, you know, I've used kids books many times, picture books before I would start a unit. And so when she came to us saying that there was this, this missing space, it just seemed like a, a natural way. So I love that she is uh, an advocate, not only for students, but for teachers as well. And I knew that that's something that we, um, we can continue to work with her for a long time. So uh, I'm gonna make sure that in the description, I'll make a, a link to uh, the way to contact her as well as some of her book titles. There's some really great ones out there that, again, she mentioned some games that you can play with your kids to help improve that uh, cognition. But we hope that you, of course, will continue to join us as well each week as we say, let's, let's go, go to, to space. space. Hi, this is Shauna from the Aerospace and Innovation Academy and, of course, co-host of the podcast that you're listening to. Just wanted to remind you to not let another crazy school year go by without helping your STEM-loving student find something to be passionate about. Dreading the science fair or not sure how to help your young scientists do real experiments that are worthy of the fair? Reach out to Kevin Simmons. He's available for consult. With his extensive background and success in the fair, it's definitely going to help take the pressure off of you at home. And if you're in Palm Beach County, he can mentor your student from start to finish, including entering your child in the regional fair, even if you're a homeschool or at a school where the fair is not being promoted. Have a student who loves space? Then don't miss Space Club. It meets face-to-face -face in Tequesta, Florida, Tuesday from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time or virtually for anyone else who cannot attend in person, Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Here, students learn the aerospace basics in preparation for participation in the prestigious Wolfpack CubeSat development team. There, amazing and distinctive opportunities abound, from working on CubeSat teams to writing and presenting technical papers and conferences and even aerospace advocacy at the state or local level. While sessions are underway, there's always space to join. Reach out to us on Facebook at GoToSpace, that's G-O, the number two, space, or at our website, aerospacehigh.org, that's A-E-R-O-S-P-A-C-E. 
E-H-I-G-H dot org. Let's go to space.